This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome back to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge at Wharton website. With a new royal baby about to make his or her debut in the UK, it's a good time to take a closer look at the state of the modern monarchy. Wharton management professor Maro Guillen has done research on monarchies and how their economies stack up against other forms of government. Maro, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, your research on this topic focuses on the relationship between property rights and the economy for monarchies versus republics. Could you talk a little bit about your key findings? Yes, what I found was essentially that uh, monarchies uh, tend to protect uh, property rights uh, in the contemporary world uh, much better uh, than republics in general and in particular dictatorships. And uh, that in the end results in better economic performance uh, as measured by living standards. Uh, So in other words, people who live in uh, countries that have a monarchy uh, they tend to enjoy higher standards of living than those uh, in republics, precisely because monarchies protect property rights uh, to a greater extent. Now, was there a distinction between different types of monarchies in those findings? Absolutely. What I also found is that constitutional monarchies, such as the British monarchy, uh, perform much better than non-democratic uh, monarchies uh, or uh, simply absolutist uh, monarchies, of which there are uh, you know, three or four in the world right now as we speak. Now, monarchies are a pretty traditional form of government. What would you say that your research says about how they function in the contemporary world? Well, the contemporary world is not only modern. It's actually a mix of uh, modernity and tradition. And we see this in many spheres of life. And one of them is in the economy, of course, uh, where we have, for example, family firms. Uh, But we also see this in the political system where we have... uh, you know, constitutional monarchies and also other types of uh, of monarchies. And uh, essentially, uh, you know, what we see uh, in in the world is that, uh, you know, some people in some parts of the world uh, try to cling to their traditions. They prefer uh, to incorporate some elements. It's not that uh, they live under middle-age conditions. No, not at all. It's just that uh, for whatever set of reasons, uh, uh, to a very large extent cultural and historical, uh, they have preserved some aspects of, uh, of tradition, uh, especially in their political system. Do you think we often have too narrow a view of monarchies? Well, I think, uh, uh, you know, Americans are a little bit uh, schizophrenic about uh, the topic of the monarchy. So on the one hand, Americans obviously are against monarchies because this country was founded, uh, you know, became independent as a result of a war of independence against a, uh, a monarchy, against a, uh, an empire, the British Empire, which was, of course, uh, you know, I closely identified at the time with, uh, with a monarchy. Um, uh, but on the other hand, Americans also have this fascination with uh, the monarchy. And we see this in Hollywood movies. We see this in the uh, kinds of bedtime stories that parents tell their children. Uh, we see this in, for example, what happened in this country uh, when Meghan got married to Prince Harry. That is to say that uh, the entire country was mesmerized and that there was talk of uh, an American princess and, uh, and all of that. Uh, now, um, this is not the first time that an American woman has married a, uh, either a prince or a, or a king. So we've seen this uh, not just uh, um, most recently with uh, Meghan and Harry, but also, um, you know, decades ago in, in Jordan uh, or in Monaco with, uh, with our own uh, Grace uh, Kelly, uh, who was, uh, if you remember, born here in the Philadelphia area. So there's a long tradition of American princesses marrying uh, foreign princes and uh, princesses uh, and, uh, and kings. Uh, and uh, this is something that I think is very much part of the American psyche. Now, what issues do you think are brought up by the fact that Meghan and Harry are about to have their first child? 
Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a, an important uh, moment, I guess, for, for many reasons. I mean, uh, one of them is that this is a unique marriage. Uh, it's a unique marriage because it is, while it is true that Harry is unlikely to become king, although you never know because uh, look at what happened uh, uh, nearly 100 years ago in the UK, but uh, a lot of people are, uh, you know, excited about learning, uh, you know, about this, uh, this uh, magical couple and about the baby that they're about to have. And uh, I think it is, uh, by the way, a sign of the uh, modernization of the monarchy itself uh, that uh, we continue to see uh, that princes uh, are getting married uh, to uh, people who do not belong to royal families and they're even willing to go to other parts of the world like the United States. Uh, to get to to find a uh, suitable spouse. And now this is coming about a year after Prince Harry and Meghan got married, and it seems like they're kind of they've been bucking a lot of traditional norms just in their couplehood in general. Oh, absolutely! I think uh, they are, um, you know, coming across. They have been coming across over the last uh, few months as a uh, as a couple that could be your your next door neighbors. Uh, so very juvenile, very uh, authentic very direct, and just a happy, you know, uh, couple uh, who just got married and uh, then now they're about to have a baby. So I think uh, given all of the bad news uh, coming from all four corners of the world, uh, they actually send a very uplifting message. Now, do you feel like um, Megan's experiences over the past year, I mean, what do those say about kind of the modern monarchy and what maybe we can expect for monarchies evolving into the future? Uh, well, you know, monarchies and, you know, the families uh, are, uh, uh, you know, very complicated in terms of the uh, behavioral code that they have and all of the traditions and all of that. I think Megan has struck a, a very good balance between, you know, playing to the rules, obviously. She has to observe the rules. But at the same time, coming across as being completely natural and uh, completely accessible. Uh, and I think that is a very good message and uh, it's one of uh, stability in the midst of all of these bad news that we have in the world. Well, and I was going to—I was getting to that. So, I mean, currently in the UK, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding Brexit. And your research actually talks a little bit about the continuity that monarchies provide. So do you feel like how is the British monarchy and the continuity that they provide? How do you feel like that's impacting both the current Brexit negotiations and also whatever happens next? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, there's many lessons to be learned from this process uh, that started two years ago when, when the Brexit referendum unexpectedly resulted in, in the desire of a majority of the British people to leave the European Union. So the first thing I would observe is the absolutely, uh, you know, um, uh, incredibly, you know, um, uh, good behavior on the part of the Queen, who is the head of state. Uh, but it's a queen who uh, doesn't really rule, right? I mean, she, she reigns over her uh, citizens, but it's not uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the executive in the country. That's the prime minister. So she has adopted uh, a clearly neutral stance, uh, uh, you know, uh, not intervening and saying what she prefers uh, uh, the outcome to be. Uh, and she has uh, continued to do that during the negotiations, except for a couple of uh, occasions last year that some people interpreted uh, a few comments that she made as uh, implying that she was more on the Remain camp. Uh, but then also the other important thing is that, uh, as you know, uh, the situation in the UK has become increasingly chaotic because uh, there's no agreement uh, with the European Union as to exactly the terms of the, uh, of the exit would be and, uh, and uh, what's going to happen the day after. Uh, in the relationship between the United Kingdom and uh, and the European Union, and, and the Queen again has been, uh, you know, essentially neutral in that debate that has, as you know, divided Parliament and divided the entire country. 
Um, what I would also say is that, uh, yes, if the UK were a republic and didn't have a queen, which is a symbol of national unity, I think um, you know, Britain would uh, be having now a much harder time uh, because, as you know, the country is bitterly divided and parliament is also split. So I think uh, that, yes, uh, I think Britain is having a slightly better time with this whole Brexit uh, business because they have a monarchy. They have a unifying symbol as the head of state. Well, and unlike the U.S., I mean, their elections are a little more fluid. So they've really cycled through several leaders other than the queen in the past couple of years. And it looks like they may be getting another one after this is over. Yeah, absolutely. This is a parliamentary system. So you do not elect the prime minister directly. You elect a parliament and then parliament elects the prime minister. But by that same token, parliament can also get rid of a prime minister. And that happened with uh, with, uh, David Cameron uh, a few days after the referendum. And now, uh, as of today, it seems as if uh, Theresa May may also be on her way out. Uh, very quickly. So, so yes, the parliamentary systems, this is not just unique of, uh, of the United Kingdom, tend to be, uh, you know, more fluid and governments get replaced and prime ministers get replaced very quickly. Here in the United States, of course, we have a presidential system and we tend to stick to our four-year, uh, you know, electoral uh, calendar for, uh, for uh, presidents uh, of, the, of, uh, of the country, of our republic. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, from that point of view, also the fact that in a parliamentary system, you have a head of state who is somebody, a monarch, uh, who stays there, right, uh, for life, uh, provides an, uh, a measure of, uh, of stability and continuity. Now, in the UK, they've had the same head of state in Queen Elizabeth for a really long time, and it's unclear when that's going to change or who would be taking over from her when that happens. Do you feel like there could be some instability created by that just because she's had such longevity? And are there things that they could do to kind of mitigate that? I mean, even though we don't know whether it would be Prince Charles or Prince William, or like you said, maybe it would be Prince Harry. Who would well, be- we're, we're all hoping that it would be Prince Charles. I mean, we all hope that uh, he lives a very long right. life. Uh, but yeah, I mean, women in his family, in the British royal family, have proved to be very... Uh, uh, you know, uh, to 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 uh, to die at, at a very advanced age, and that of course includes uh, most famously uh, Queen Victoria. Uh, but Queen Elizabeth has already broken the record, and he is the longest-serving uh, uh, monarch in the world in world history, right? Uh, uh, as far as uh, you know, recorded history uh, goes. Uh, so yes, that would be a huge transition because uh, you know she uh, became queen in the 1950s. So it's been a long time. A lot of things have happened in the world over such a long period of time. So, uh, but, you know, again, the, the British are used to these long reigns. Uh, it happened with Queen Victoria. And uh, it seems to me that, uh, you know, when, when uh, Queen Elizabeth II uh, passes, uh, this will be a, a very, very uh, important uh, turning point in British history. And I would uh, also say in, in world history. And uh, uh, let me tell you, billions of people are going to be watching that funeral on TV. I mean, uh, and hopefully it will be uh, Prince Charles uh, who will become a king uh, at that point after, as you know, having uh, been uh, uh, a prince uh, uh, for a very, very long period of time as well. Uh, so, yeah, that will definitely be uh, whenever that happens in the next uh, you know, years, I guess, or hopefully a you know, decade or more. That will be a, 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 an event of global proportions, which is likely to attract a, uh, a lot of attention. 
Now, looking beyond Britain a little bit, are there other monarchies around the world that you think are interesting to, to keep an eye on? Or Well, I think uh, one that fascinates me, of course, is the Japanese monarchy, right? And uh, Japan, uh, like the United, uh, the United Kingdom, has been a parliamentary democracy since uh, the end of uh, World War II. And if you remember, General Ma Douglas MacArthur initially had instructions to remove the monarchy, but then he actually asked uh, Truman if it would be possible to keep the emperor in place, Hirohito at the time, because uh, you know he thought that it would be, a uh, again, a, a, an instrument of stability in Japan, in post-war Japan, a country that needed to be reconstructed um, from all points of view. Um, so uh, it's, it's, again, another monarchy that stretches uh, centuries uh, back in history, uh, a monarchy that has, yes, in some periods of time, being a, uh, a force for evil, right? There's no question about it. It did, uh, you know, justify the, uh, the atrocities and the abuses that uh, Japan committed uh, uh, during World War II and prior to World War II, especially in China. Uh, but uh, since uh, 1945, it has been a force for continuity and stability, uh, and I think it has helped uh, turn Japan into the prosperous democracy that it is today. Uh, so that's one that, uh, you know, I find uh, particularly uh, fascinating. And they're in a time of transition right now as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you see, this is the thing about monarchies. We, we think of monarchies as if they were anchored in the past. But in fact, uh, they do change and they do adapt and they do evolve. Uh, sometimes they're, you know, clumsy and uh, it seems as if, uh, you know, they're not, um, you know, changing uh, quickly enough. Uh, but let's not forget it. Uh, for every monarch that gets into trouble or that doesn't do the job well, there are at least uh, two or three presidents of republics uh, who also, uh, you know, misbehave or they happen to be corrupt or uh, they make decisions for the country that are disastrous. So I don't think uh, that one can generalize and say, oh, monarchies are traditional forms of government and they're all bad because, uh, you know, it's anachronistic for us to have monarchies in, 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 the, in the 21st century. Uh, and it's equally, I think, uh, uh, inac inaccurate to say that all, uh, you know, republics and uh, all uh, elected officials are just wonderful, right? Uh, so I think, uh, uh, you know, once again, some parts of the world, some countries, they prefer certain forms of government over others. And I think it's perfectly okay that um, a few more than 40 countries in the world right now have... Uh, uh, continue to have the, the monarchy as, as the form of government. But again, in most of them, these are democracies and therefore the, 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 the monarch or the king or the queen is purely a constitutional monarch that doesn't have any power. It's just a, a figure, a, a, a head of state that, uh, that helps bring the country together and provides for continuity and stability. Rao, well, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's podcasts, articles, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find our podcasts on Apple's podcasting app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or a rating. It really does help other people to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 